people ask oh, no. me all the time, Joey, why isn't customer experience a bigger priority? I say, because it, there, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is hierarchical structure. Mm-hmm. In the typical organization, the head of customer experience reports up to either the head of sales or the head of marketing, who then reports up to the CEO. Do you think they're going to talk more about sales or customer experience? By the way, their title is head of sales. Today, we have an incredible guest, and that guest's name is Joey Coleman. During our time together today, we are going to be talking about how never to lose a customer again. The name of the game is customer retention, and this is treating them like a human, not like a customer. Spoiler alert. Uh, We go over so many tactical ways to just allow them to be heard and seen. Um, You're going to really love this. If you have a customer, you're going to want to deploy some of these tactics. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Hierarchy of Needs podcast. My name is Tim Palladino, and this is the show for entrepreneurs who want a higher value life and business. Welcome, Joey Coleman. How are you today? Tim, I am thrilled, thrilled to be here, super excited to be a guest on the show. You know, you've had a number of our mutual friends on the show, yeah. uh, Jen Heck, Yannick Silver, Melanie Spring, Rajana, mm-hmm. and I am just honored to be included in that list of awesome rock stars <laughs> who have already been guests on the Hierarchy of Needs. So uh, excited to be here. Thanks for yeah. uh, having me and thanks to everybody for listening. Hopefully you're going to enjoy the conversation as much as I'm sure Tim and I are going to. I was going to say, I have a feeling they will. We, we, uh, we emanate, uh, we emanate fun. So <laughs> they're Perfect. definitely going to like it by, uh, by osmosis at least. Um, yeah. The names you mentioned, man, those are all people that have shaped my life. Those are definitely people that I've had conversations with and, you know, went into some thought bubbles with and really, really, and still, still shape my life. You know, Raj is a great friend of mine. Like it's, it's really cool to have cool people. Yeah, in our life, I agree. right? I agree. It, you know, um, I think it, when you, it'd be categorized probably under the relationships bucket in your it would definitely need, right. You know, like who and <laughs> and at the end of the day, you know, there's fascinating research. I'm sure you're familiar with this um, out of Harvard that the, the Harvard Longevity Study, which is the longest study on how to live the longest. Right? I got they've been running this study for decades, and what they found is more dispositive than what you eat, how often you exercise, how many hours of sleep you get at night, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's how strong are your relationships? How strong are your friendships? Because those contribute more to our physical, mental, emotional health and well-being than any other singular factor, which I find fascinating. Uh, and that's why I'm such a big fan of you know that idea of creating great friendships, great relationships. Yeah, and relationships are uh, one of those interesting things where when you mention the word relationship to someone, they have their own very unique definition and feeling towards them. You know, some people, when you hear relationship, they think romantic. Some people think uh, relationship, they think um, transactional. Yep. Even in business. Like, so it's very interesting. And I, and I just try and just be like, no, it's, it's our exchange with each other as humans at the very, very core. We're humans. Well, and I think it's interesting when you think about resources for learning about relationships, the majority, not all of them, but the Mm -hmm. majority are designed to address a deficit in relationship, Mm -hmm. i.e. how to be a better networker, how to get along with your partner better, how to be the kind of guy, the kind of gal that the other person wants to date. You know, it's so much driven about, you know, fixing a deficiency as opposed to how do you need to show up to be the kind Mm -hmm. of person that other people want to be in relationship to? And then how do you build and foster and nurture relationships over time, taking into consideration the ebb and flow that is human evolution of a relationship may make perfect sense in kindergarten and not in high school, or a relationship may make sense in high school, but not when you're in your forties. And we need only look at behavior on the weekends to see some folks who are living in relationships that are may have served them in the past but are no longer serving them yeah that, that's very very true and there's another there's another um a caveat to that is have deeper relationships potentially versus more of them yeah um yeah. that was something i learned about three years ago and it like it didn't make sense right because as we were talking about actually in in the in the green room in the you know before before we hit record um I, I was very business minded and I just want more, 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 more. That was my old mindset. Um, and now I want more value. Yeah. And, and I also, this is another 
realization I've had through this, the whole entrepreneurial hierarchy of needs um, uh, test that I've been doing on myself is that not all relationships have to check all boxes. Yeah. And in fact, they, I, I would posit when you give it permission to not check all boxes, it gets a lot easier. A yeah. lot easier. Um, I'm a big fan of a woman by the name of uh, Esther Perel, and she writes mm. all about relationships and speaks on relationships. She's got amazing TED Talks. She's just a beautiful human being. And she talks a lot about how in romantic relationships between couples, we have created this fiction, and it truly is a fiction in modern society, that your spouse or your significant other should be your best friend your confidant, your cheerleader, your supporter, your lover, yeah. the person you dream with, the person you cuddle with, the person you have adventures with, the person who's a rock, but who's also a floating you know, feather on the wind. And it's like, wait a second, that's a lot of pressure to put on any human being yeah. to do all of those things. And as soon as we say, it's okay to have other people play some of those roles, it suddenly gets a lot easier. Now, personally, I don't know that you should necessarily be in a relationship and having someone outside the relationship playing the role of intimate partner. <laughs> yeah. But you know, everybody does what works for them. And I yeah. think as soon as we start to recognize kind of the varying roles that people have, it makes life a lot easier. It, it does. It does. And it's, you know, I think to, to really simplify it, you can't ask salt to be pepper. Yeah. You, yeah. you just can't. Yeah. No matter how much you want to will it. Um, yeah. So the, the, going in with the, the relationships and I want to, I want to jump to your book because this is super important. So for anybody listening, um, I think one of the things that you can definitely relate with is there's so many different elements to growing a business. And a lot of us are solopreneurs and we only know sections. And then when we get to other sections, we just kind of white knuckle it. Um, <laughs> so you know? true. So yeah, true. I'll just power there. through this like everything yeah. else and it'll be yeah, fine. Just... I, yeah. Until you're not sleeping, not eating, you know, yeah. abusing substance, fill in the blank of whatever your yeah. you know, default behavior becomes when you are yeah. white knuckling. And then, yeah, yeah. everything's crashing. Well, you guys can't see it right now, but I'm raising my hand to that because <laughs> that was me. I was Mr. Oh, white knuckle. Dude, brother, me too. Yeah. Me too. And, and it's only in recent years that I've said, wait a second, I don't need to figure out all of this on my own. Yeah. I can hire people. I can read books. I can attend seminars. I can mm -hmm. outsource things to make it so that I don't have to understand how I have to, I believe I have to understand at a high level how everything works, mm -hmm. but I don't have to do all of it. You know? I, I, I agree with that. Know enough to be dangerous and ask the right questions. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and to ask the right question, I think is spot on. Like what, yeah. do, do you know enough about how it's operating to ask the key moving questions. And if you do, okay, great. And, you know, build it out. And then as the Russians would say, trust, but verify, right? Have your folks that you're <laughs> too, and just keep tabs and make sure that the KPIs still make sense and that you're monitoring what you're outsourcing or what other people on your team are handling for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in case you are white knuckling and there's, there's uh, many, many elements to every, every business and many stages in their growth. So, so it's a metric. Or I'm sorry, a matrix of things you have to consider. And one of the, the most important things from the beginning to the end is, is, in my opinion, the customer journey, how you show up for them, how you treat them when they buy from you and when they don't buy from you. There is, it's, they're people, man. <laughs> like, like totally. so that's what's one of the things I just want to sink our teeth into now. Cause I've read, I've read your book, um, Never Lose a Customer Again with the best subtitle ever turn any sale into lifelong loyalty in a hundred days. I mean, that just reading that should give you um, a clear crystal clear understanding of why this is going to knock your socks off. So don't read it with socks on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and actually I just gifted it to someone. Uh, they oh, want a thanks. competition. Yeah. That. Nice. Um, so it's important that we, we treat them as, as humans and the relationship never ends. Um, so I guess the first question in relation to the book, right, is before the book was written, what, what got in your craw to write this book? Like something must have dug up some dirt 
Yeah, a couple of things. Well, uh, let me, I'll give you as much of an abbreviated version of this as possible because we could talk mm. for hours just on answering mm. that singular question. Um, and then feel free to pull on whatever thread seemed most interesting. Uh, I was running an ad agency and a branding agency at the mm. time. And my job, like many ad agencies and branding agencies, was to drive as many new prospects to the door of my clients, whether that was the virtual door online or the physical door in, you know, uh, in an in-person tangible type business. And moral of the story is we were great at getting people to come and to sign up and become customers. But when I would go back and check in with my clients three months later, six months later, a year later, they had signed a bunch of new customers, but they hadn't kept them. It hadn't moved the dial. And to be candid, Tim, I got irritated. I got irritated not at them, but at myself for playing a role in this churn and burn revolving door acquisition influenced environment that really Labeling. describes corporate America and I'll extrapolate it corporate, you know, behavior globally uh, at a significant level. And so I said, well, if I don't like this behavior, number one, why am I contributing to it? Mm-hmm. Number two, could I fix it? And it led me down the road to look at what happens after the sale. So there's the customer experience when it's the prospect experience before they become a customer. And then there's the customer experience after they transition from prospect to customer and what happens after that. And what I found in the research I did was somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers decide to stop doing business with you in the first 100 days of the relationship. Mm. 20 to 70%. In banking, it was 32%. In cell phones, it was 21%. Auto mechanics, 68%. Restaurants, depending on the type of cuisine, anywhere from 40 to 80%. Software as a service, 22%. I can rattle these statistics off for industries all day long. But what the common thread was is it was double digit pain across every industry. And hardly any businesses were talking about this. The solution they had was, we'll just go get more. Now, one of the cool things about the internet is depending on the type of business you have, is it opened the geographic reach of our businesses dramatically. You know, when I was a kid, you basically did business with people who lived less than 50 miles away from your office, probably less than 20 miles away from your office, if we're candid. But I grew up in a rural community, we might stretch it to 50, (laughs) right? Now, you can have a customer literally on the other side of the globe who you will never meet who will pay you in their local currency, which will be translated courtesy of Stripe or PayPal or whoever you're using for your processor into your local currency. You can deliver them a good electronically based on the click of a button and never deal with them again, never have a conversation with them again. And you've earned money from a customer that literally is a human you will never cross, you know, cross against or meet up with ever in your life. The good news about that is it's made the globe available. The bad news is I think it's led a lot to pe- of people to say, well, I don't need to care about my existing customers because if they leave, I'll just go get more. And I think that attitude, that philosophy, that belief is pervasive in the majority of businesses on the planet today. And I think that's a big problem. It, it is. Um, and I don't know where we went wrong or I, I just think we actually didn't, haven't caught up yet. Yeah, I, th- I, you know, I think what happened is I think human, the human species is an evolutionary species operating yeah. in an exponential world. So before it made sense that you only dealt with the people in your village because you only traveled in the bounds of your village. Mm-hmm. As we increased dramatically with exponential growth, the ability to travel via, you know, first horse, then car, then train, or, you know, first horse, then train, then car, then plane, you know, now spaceship. And, you know, we kind of extrapolated all those things out. And then we layer on top of it, the internet. Suddenly the game changed. And I just don't think we've caught up, you know, uh, the psychologist Dunbar, they talk about Dunbar's number. The Dunbar number. Yeah. yeah, The number number of 150 people that the average person can maintain 150 relationships. That's the max number of personal relationships you can have. I'd be willing to bet that anyone listening to this podcast, if I went to your Facebook page or your LinkedIn profile or your Instagram account, you have more than 150 people that quote unquote, think you're, they're your friend or claim that you're their friend mm. or have accepted a friend request. 
folks, respectfully, they're not your friends. Mm -hmm. They may like you. They may want to hear what you have to say. They may want to follow you. That's why I'm okay with followers more than friends. Friends. But yeah. let's stop pretending that they're friends. They're not friends. If I want to know yeah. who your friends are, I ask, who did you invite to your wedding? I ask things like, if, you know, you were, uh, you know, if you're married and you have kids and you were racing your spouse to the hospital and you needed somebody to stay with your kids, who would you call? Those are friends. Yeah. I'm not going to post a message on Facebook that says, oh, I need to run to the hospital. Who can come over and take my kid? God, no, that's not a friend. Doors unlocked, just show up. Yeah. And I, and I, again, I don't judge and I'm, and I I know I'm getting a little excited here. I don't mean to be critical of anybody who has more than 150 people in their network. Let's just stop deluding ourselves and calling them friends because they're not. And that's okay. They were never meant to be. Totally, totally agree. Uh, it's funny too because I've had a, um, a kind of a come to Jesus moment with that term friend. And I've had it because I, I just, because there's, you know, language is super important these days. I mean, it's always important. I but, mean, it should be. You know, it should yeah, be. Yeah, it should be. Uh, the, the, you know, specificity <laughs> of language really helps. It's kind of yeah. a key component of communication. But most people have just gotten comfortable and or lazy depending on how pejorative you want to be with the words that they use and it's like no we can do that but life moves in a much crisper more efficient more effective fashion if we use effective words and language to communicate and it's more fun agreed a hundred percent yeah i i think language is like one of the, the 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 most underrated games and art forms Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a big pun fan, like not the rapper, but like puns in general. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I absolutely love language. So in, in, um, in regards to the, to the customers, like when you, what you were saying was like, we've evolved past this, this one village town. And now we, we have the, um, we have access to all these different customers and people that are I just, just people right? That become customers that still are people at the same time. Um, and we have to, we, I guess we have, to, we have to, we have to treat them like people. And I, there's that, that corporate um, churning that happens with customers. Like I don't have to spend old school thinking. I don't have to spend the time keeping because it's cheaper to, to just get a new one. To go get a new which, one. Absolutely. Well, and I, I think, think it's I- false. A hundred percent. I mean, so so that is false philosophically. It's false financially. Yes. It's false practically. Like th- th- yes. there there are so many aspects of that belief system that are inherently flawed and destructive. I I totally agree with you, Tim. I mean, at the end of the day, so many businesses. If you ask them, you know, how would you categorize your business? They say I'm either B two B or B two C. And occasionally you'll hear a company say, Well, we're B two G because they serve the government, mm. okay? Okay, yep. Um, no, you're not. You're age mm. to age. You're mm-hmm. human to human. You're a human being and your team is human dealing with other humans. And yes, they may be buying something for their personal use or they may be buying something for their corporate business use or they may be buying something for a governmental use. But the reality is there's a human on the other side of the phone. There's a human on the other side of the email. There's a human on the other side of the video screen. There's a human yeah. on the other side of the table and our removal from that recognition, our distancing from that reality has led us to the place where we are today. You know, most customers feel that they're a number. One of the big complaints you hear is somebody goes, oh, I get treated like I'm a number. What is the first thing that most businesses do when they get a new customer? Give you an account Assign number. them a customer account <laughs> number. I'm like, no wonder you feel like you're a number. They actually gave you a number and then they expect yeah. you to remember that number when you call in for support or help. At the end of the day, if we want people to stop feeling like they're a number, let's stop referencing them by their number. Now, I'm not saying you can't have filing systems and categorization systems that internally yeah. operate in your business to help you organize things. That's fine. But when, as, when you're telling a customer I don't want to know you by your name. I want to know you by your number. I believe you kind of deserve the headache you're going to get from that kind yeah. of behavior because you created it as the business, yeah. as the business owner. Yeah. And even, even on the other side, as the customer, 
um, there's been times where people get angsty on the phone or, and you just got to realize, like, I don't know their world. I don't know what's happening over there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of trying our best and it's hard. We're human, but trying our best to recognize that everyone we are interacting with has their own challenges. Everyone we're interacting with has had their own either highlights or lowlights to, or Mm -hmm. both most likely that day, let alone that week, that month, that year that lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we can just do our best wherever we can to put our best foot forward, to presume the best of the people we interact with. And yeah. if we misstep, apologize. If things don't go well, acknowledge it, you know, at yeah. the risk of pulling back the curtain on our conversation here today, but I'll, yeah. I, I'll embrace the authenticity. We had scheduled to record this podcast. And for some reason, technical reason, like software reason, mm-hmm. it didn't end up on my calendar. So all of a sudden it comes time to record and Tim is emailing me and my team saying, hey, by the way, in the studio, ready to record with Joey, where's Joey? <laughs> and it was just completely gone. Well, one of the things that was really important to me and hopefully you experienced this, Tim, is Tim got an apology from the team. Mm-hmm. And then we started the call with me saying, hey, Tim, before we even talk at all, I'm so sorry this happened. Here's why it happened. Uh, and I... I'm doing my best to make sure it doesn't happen again for you or for anyone else, yeah. but I, I apologize. It's okay to say sorry. Yeah. It really is. I think so many entrepreneurs and so much of the, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, the hustle porn and the entrepreneurial mishigas yeah. that people spout is just like, oh, you never apologize moving forward. The weak will apologize. No, stop it. Good humans, yeah. good humans recognize that they make mistakes. They acknowledge their mistakes and they ask for forgiveness for their mistakes. Mm-hmm. When that happens, other good humans they interact with go, huh, okay, yeah, I can, I can do that. I can forgive. I can, you know, make amends. I can move forward, whatever it may be. It's yeah, and it's it shouldn't be that hard. And if you if if you feel it's hard, try it. I guarantee it's not. Yeah. Like you might feel yeah. weird for a second, but the other person will reciprocate. Like I've been, I've been in heated arguments and then realize how wrong I am and then just be like, I'm sorry. And they're like, what? And then their guard yeah. goes down and it's like, exactly. wow, guys, let's exactly. not like let's hold hands and kumbaya, but like I messed up. Like, well, I'm sorry for bringing us to this level. Like agreed. And yeah. let's keep a perspective too. You know what I mean? I, w- I was playing in a charity golf tournament last week. Mm. And they was, I, I was part of a foursome and there was another foursome on our same hole mm-hmm. as we were going. And I said to them about two holes in, I said, I am loving playing with you because you recognize that they are not handing out gold medals at the end of this tournament. They're not handing out trophies, not giving yeah. out pride. It's a charity tournament. Stop it. None of us are going to the Olympics. None of us are going to the Ryder Cup. None of us are going to the, you know, the Open, any of these things. No, it's like, we're having fun. We're here to yeah. be outside, to relax, have a good time chasing a little ball around the course. And it um, never ceases to amaze me how I think there's a lot of people that actually want to dial down the level of intensity. They're just looking for permission. Because after yes. I said that, and I, I'm not giving myself credit for it, but like, since I was the first one to voice it, oh my gosh, this, the next 16 holes we're glorious. They're teasing us. We're teasing them. People are making comments about each other's shots and not only applauding, but also being like, oh my gosh, do you, do you want to try that again? Because that was not pretty. Yeah, right, you know? right. Like having fun and everybody's laughing and playing. And it was genuinely delightful. Yeah. I think those type of interactions can happen in every aspect of every business on a regular basis yeah. if you're willing to open the door. And to your point for the reciprocation, if you go first, if you yeah. genuinely ask, how's it going today? One of the things I do whenever I'm on hold for a long time waiting for a customer service rep, as soon as the rep comes in, I go, wow, thanks so much for picking up. You guys seem like you are totally slammed tonight, aren't you? And then I just get quiet and let them talk. And nine times out of 10, they're like, oh my gosh, you have no idea. We've just been, duh, 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 there's this, there's that. And I was like, well, look, I just want you to know, I so appreciate what you're doing. And 
I will do my best to be as specific in my language and as succinct in my description of what I'm looking for so that hopefully we can get this resolved. And maybe you can take a break before picking up the next call. Does that sound fair? Yes, please. Thank you. It sets the tone. And now we've completely <clears throat> let the air out of the, the room, all the stress, all the hype, all the angst. And it's kind of like, now I have this gigantic advocate on the other end of the line. Yeah. He's like, oh, I will do anything for Joey because he was actually Very nice true. to me. And it's like, I was just being a human. Like, I don't think I get a pat on the back for being <laughs> right. decent. It shouldn't be special. It shouldn't be special a treat treatment for, you know, being kind. You know, my, I've, I've got two yeah. young boys. And I regularly tell them, I'm like, hey, this is the standard in our family. You don't get special rewards because you've said please. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, my my son the other day, he was like, daddy, I said please for the ice cream. So I get two scoops, right? I'm like, no, not at all. Please means you get to have some. It doesn't yeah. mean you get to have you get more. extra. Yeah, like th these are the ante up chips and we play games. I'm like, how many times can you say please to your mom today? Because I would love to hear a number greater than 50. Because mm -hmm. of all the things she does for you all day, every day, there's at least 50 opportunities for you to work please into a sentence. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's go. Sure. Let's, let's gamify this. Come on, gamify parenting. <laughs> It'll make it feel more entrepreneurial that way. You know, and it's like, come on. Yeah. So going back to that conversation that, that you would have with the customer service rep, the, also another thing to mention is the effect that has on their life that day. Yes. It could be the beginning of the day and it affect all the rest of the customers. It could be the end of the day and affect the interaction that they have either with their, with their boss on the way out or their kids and they pick them up from school or someone that they are actually heated, heated uh, and about to have a nasty conversation with change the tone like that is that's a true, true ripple effect when common decency is applied. A hundred percent. Tim, mm -hmm. I'm a big believer that if we think of the experience coin, there's two sides of it. There's the customer experience yeah. side and the employee experience side. And as you polish or improve one, it necessarily polishes and improves the mm. other side of the coin. So as we enhance the customer experience, our employees start enjoy coming to work more. And as we enhance the employee experience, our employees are more excited about delivering remarkable experiences to our customers. And yes. so it's one of those things where they just feed each other. Invariably, I imagine you've had the experience where you go to a business and you get horrible, horrible product, a horrible service, whatever it may mm -hmm. be. And then you go and you try to talk to someone in the business and it actually gets worse. And you're like, oh my gosh, I thought the bad thing was the product. Now I'm talking to the people and it's even worse. Why? It's the two sides of that coin, customer and employee experience. They just feed mm -hmm. on each other. And so that's why I think it's so important. You know, a lot of the companies I consult with, a lot of the audiences I speak to want to hear about customer experience. And I'm happy to have that conversation. But we also have to have a conversation about employee experience. And what are yeah. you doing to create remarkable experiences that keep your employees coming back for more? What are you thinking about in terms of employee retention? You want to mm -hmm. pay attention to customer retention? Great. What about employee retention? How are we marrying those two things and working them together? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the employee is the filtration for the gestalt of the company, like how they feel and what the mission is and all that stuff. So you have, you have to set that tone and set precedent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, I will, so when, I will when, also say, Tim, for, forgive me, one additional thought yeah, no on worries. that. It's impossible to ask your employees to deliver a remarkable customer experience if they don't know what one is. You right, have so to show I, your employees 100%. as an employer what a remarkable experience is. And then they have a context for delivering yep. that same type of experience to someone else. Years ago, I can tell a quick story. Years ago, I got asked to come speak to an organization. And the CEO said, we want to be able to deliver a first-class Ritz-Carlton white glove experience. And we want to bring you in, Joey, to train our people how to do that. I said, that's great. He goes, Joey, it's really important that it's first-class Ritz-Carlton white glove. I was like, I gotcha. And he's like, you know, when they're all done, I want them to feel like this is a, they're flying first class at the Ritz Carlton. It's white glove. I was like, I get the three buzzwords you've attached to this. I'm, <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. So we go to the event. We've got about 200 people in the room. And I said, great. Before we get started, the CEO introduces me and says, we're going to deliver after Joey's done, you'll be able to deliver a first class Ritz Carlton white glove service uh, experience. I said, that's great. Comes out. Um, thank you for the kind introduction. Before we get started, I'm going to ask a series of questions, and I'd like you to raise your hand to answer yes, so that I get a nice visual. I said, "How many of you have ever flown first class?" The CEO proudly raises his hand. The head of sales raises her hand. The CFO raises her hand. 
and no one else in the room raises their hand. I said, great. Second question, how many of you have ever spent the night at a Ritz-Carlton? CEO proudly raises his hand. The head of sales proudly raises her hand. The CFO puts her hand down and says, do you know how much it costs to spend the night at the Ritz-Carlton? I said, yeah, I do. Oh boy. Last question, how many of you have ever been at a meal where the wait staff delivered your food wearing white gloves? Even the CEO and the head of sales put their hands down. I said, great. So here's what we just learned. It's impossible to ask someone to deliver a first-class experience if they've never flown first class. It's impossible to ask someone to deliver a Ritz-Carlton experience if they've never spent the night at the Ritz-Carlton. And it sure as heck is impossible to ask someone to deliver a white glove level of service excellence if they've never had food delivered to them by someone wearing white gloves. It's not that you're wrong to strive for these things. It's just not effective to say them without giving that experience to the people who are being asked to do more than say it. They're being asked to live it, to deliver it, mm -hmm. to provide it. Embody it. Embody it. Yeah. So the CEO says, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? I said, well, here's the thing. I said, are you really open to this idea? And the employees are starting to get excited now. They're like, oh, oh what's going on? And I said, I'd like to throw out an idea. And uh, are you comfortable with this CEO that you'll do my idea of him before you hear it? He's like, oh, I don't know. I was like, come on, live a little, it'll be exciting. And he's like, all right, maybe we'll consider it strongly. I was like, all right. From now on, every employee on your anniversary of your first day on the job, every year, your one year, your two year, three year, the company will pay for you and your significant other to spend the night at the Ritz-Carlton. Here's, and the crowd goes wild. People are like, oh my God. What are you doing? Right. I'm just like, bear with me, bear with me. But here's what you have to do as employees. You go, you check into the hotel, you have your experience, you check out the next day. When you come back to work, you do a 10 minute presentation for the team about one thing that they did at the Ritz Carlton that you thought was special that you think you could implement here. Awesome. Just one. That's it. They decided to do it. Don't you know, a year later, every single employee in that company personally knew how to deliver a Ritz-Carlton experience. And their customer satisfaction scores went through the roof. And their business was growing. And they were getting more referrals. And they were getting more repeat business. Why? Because now they actually understood what they were being asked to do. Yeah. Yeah. It, that that um, makes me think, and I'm going to butcher this because um, my memory shot today, the Maya Angelou quote, quote uh, people won't remember what you say, but they'll remember how you make them feel. Yeah. And it, that's, yeah, but you have to, you have to have the feeling, you know, not just play the part. You have to have the feeling to express it in your own way to that. Absolutely. You know, Tim, when we think yeah. about our business <clears throat> operations, I think anybody who's listening probably has an aspect of their business where when X happens, this is how we respond. We respond mm -hmm. Y. So when they place this order, this is the confirmation email we send. Or after we have a phone call, this is the follow-up email we send with the notes or what the proposal or whatever it may be. You know what you're going to do. Let me ask this. In your systems, in your documented procedures, do you have a line that says, and our goal is to have them feel this way. How do you want them to feel when they get the proposal? How do you want them to feel when the package arrives? How do you want yep. them to feel when they get off the phone with a customer service rep? Lots of times, if we say to our team, hey, when is a time that you felt heard or you felt joy or you felt appreciated or you felt understood or you felt happy? or you felt encouraged, pick, a, pick an emotion. And then we say, great, what were you feeling at that time? Awesome. How would you make someone feel that emotion or that feeling now? It's a lot easier for them to understand because they felt that emotion. They've had that experience. And so yeah. it makes it easier to deliver on that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And it's, that's, that's another reason, like with a lot of stuff that we did, and I've had, I've had a handful of different companies in different industries, and um, it's so important to kind of hire slow for that reason, because that, that can be lost very quickly. Absolutely. Very, very quickly. And, and, yeah. and hire for the feelings people will create, not <clears throat> the, you know, the feeling you got in the interview. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's anybody it's, can it's interview re- well. Anybody yeah. can interview well. You know, I want to know how, how do you make people feel? How do you interact? What's it like when you're not being interviewed? That's why I'm a big fan to your point of hiring. So I'm a big fan of long interviews. Mm-hmm. Let's go to a four hour dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you yeah. can fake pretty much anyone can fake it for a 30 minute Skype interview mm-hmm. or a zoom mm-hmm. interview or something like that. Four hour dinner. We're getting into some stuff. Yep. We're, we're going to have some scenarios where I'm going to start to get a much better idea of exactly what's going on. And if you get the chance, invite their spouse, invite their yeah. children, you know, get to see what their dynamic is, is how they interact with other people, you know, see how they interact with the wait staff, see how they interact with your team, your people, and you know, what's going on. And, you know, you can learn a lot, I think, by observing people's behaviors more than you listen to their words. Yes. As I get older, um, I say less. I just listen. Yeah. I just listen because they're telling me everything I need to know and they love to talk. Everybody, everybody feels heard when you're listening. And it sounds crazy, <laughs> but yeah. No, it's it's spot on. Spot on. You yeah. you want to have more friends, listen more. You want to have mm-hmm. happier customers, listen more. You want to have more customers, listen more. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually uh so so funny that you're actually saying that because I I put out a post to a couple of groups uh, today. I'm, I'm beta testing something. And I'm like, I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm just trying to have you go through this and tell me if it's good or not. I'm li- like, and the whole point was I'm listening. I'm here to, to get your feedback, do the survey. We can get on a zoom call. And it was all, and it was, I'm, I'm actually getting great responses. And I think it was because I'm leveraging the listening part because they yeah. feel heard. Yeah. People love to fill out surveys. There, there is a huge, know, yeah. per- oh, a hundred percent. And there is a yeah. huge percentage of people that are all about, you know, filling out the surveys and all about mm-hmm. having that experience. Um, yeah. But you know, how many companies have people fill out surveys, but then they never respond to them. They never address the thing that was in the survey. They never address what was going on. And it's like, you know, that tells me kind of all I need to know. Yeah. 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 I don't even know what, what department that would be. I don't know if it would be HR or, or what, but it needs to happen. Yeah. Well, and Tim, you, you, you hit the nail on the head in so many organizations, there is no singular person who's responsible for the customer experience. People ask oh, no. me all the time, Joey, why isn't customer experience a bigger priority? I say, because it, there, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is hierarchical structure. Mm-hmm. In the typical organization, the head of customer experience reports up to either the head of sales or the head of marketing, who then reports up to the CEO. Mm-hmm. When the head of sales goes into a meeting with the CEO, do you think they're going to talk more about sales or customer experience? By the way, their title is head of sales. Right. Hmm. Yeah, it's I not customer experience. Sales, not going to be customer experience. Yeah. So we can't, you know, lots of times how our customers feel, how they're taken care of is actually, we say it's everyone's responsibility, but by the way, mm-hmm. when you say it's everyone in the organization's responsibility, no that one takes actually responsibility. translates <laughs> to it's no one's responsibility, right? <laughs> and so it's like, you you need to hire people. You uh, need to pay people to be solely responsible for delivering remarkable experiences yeah. to your customers. And then give them the tools and the power and the autonomy and the, and the, the, the ability to move the dial, to do the things they need to do. The autonomy is super important, super important because it, it, um, we had like a kind of like an 80, 20 rule with, uh, with one of our companies where it was like, I don't know what I'm doing building this company, but now that you've taken the role that I was doing. So do 80% of what I say and then make it better for the rest of the time. Totally. Please. Totally. Yeah. Well, like we were talking about the Ritz Carlton earlier, Ritz Carlton is famous for every employee at the Ritz Carlton has a $2,000 budget to spend, to alleviate any customer concern without Mm. approval from their manager. Literally every employee can write up to a $2,000 check to solve any customer concern. They call them guests, you know, on their own without approval. And what that means is problems get solved and they get solved faster. And the employees are good stewards of that. It's not that they're all just, you know, 2000 here, 2000 there, but frankly, if you adopt something like that in your business, there is going to be a learning curve. There's going to be some times where an employee goes, well, let's just throw money at the problem. That'll make it better. It's like, okay, you had the ability and the autonomy to do that. You did that. That's awesome. Good job. And is there another way we could have done it? Yeah. You refunded their full amount. Did they say they wanted a refund? Well, no, but it was bad. Okay. What did they want? Well, I think now that you say it, they just wanted to vent. Hmm. 
So would it have been an opportunity to maybe have them vent and give them $500? Which is still a good return, yeah. but it's not $2,000, right? And so how can you be part of that dance? And, and what are you trying to accomplish long-term? When your employees feel like you're in it for the long-term and they're in it for the long-term, it's a lot easier to make it that way for the customers too. Yep. And, and um, something just popped up in my head. It's what you call the people that give you the money for your product or service. What do you call your customers? You know, do they have, do they have a special name that make them part of your organization? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, lots of audiences I speak to refer to them as customers. Some refer to them as clients. Some refer to them as patients. Some refer to them as users, right? Yep. I think of them as audience. I think of the yeah. people you serve as your audience. And the reason I choose that is not just because I'm a professional speaker and not most of my customers <laughs> are audiences, but because I think when we use the word audience, we were talking earlier about the specificity of language. To me, an audience calls us to perform. It calls us to put on a show. Uh, it calls okay. us to rehearse and to plan and memorize our lines and create a spectacle and create something that ideally when we're done, there's a standing ovation. When we're done, they wanna buy season tickets. When they're done, they wanna leave the theater and go tell all their friends to come to the show. That's to me the difference between serving an audience and serving a customer or a mm. client or even a patient or a user. I mean, user, don't get me started. I mean, it blows my mind that the only people on the planet that refer to users are tech companies and drug dealers. And drug like, dealers. Literally. That's it. That's, That's the it. first I'm thing like, that hmm. always comes to my head. I'm Pro like, tip. I have a lot of friends. Pro past. tip. Yeah. Stop and think about that. Yeah. I don't want users. No, I don't want yeah. you to use me and I don't want to use you. It's, right? <laughs> it's, uh, so, it's come on. so common. Yeah. So I, I think of them as audience. And I, yeah. I found that when I do workshops with companies, when they shift to, well, who is our audience we're trying to serve and how are we serving our audience? It elevates the conversation. It changes yeah. the way we approach the conversation when we think, uh, when we kind of get, bring more of the humanity to the people yeah. they're serving as opposed to just a more transactional title. Yeah. And it, I, um, I got very, very lucky, uh, to be able to work with my father growing up and stuff like that. We shared a lot of, a lot of the same office space for a lot, a lot of time. And he really taught me the whole customer service thing in a very, very simple, um, I don't want to say term, but basically it boiled down to we're on the same team yeah. as our, as the people that are paying us. Like our goal is to provide something to, th to them to enrich their experience or, or building or whatever. We did a lot of construction. Uh, that was yeah. the industry we yeah, were yeah. in. And it's like, it, we, whatever we do directly affects them and whatever they do directly affects us. You know, so we're going to use them as references. If we don't want to be, uh, um, if we don't, you don't want to be known as working for them, then we're going to back off. Like if they're not so, good people to work for, then we're going to back off and, and it would it. Yeah. be the same. Yeah. It sounds like we had a, a similar experience. I had the pleasure of growing up uh, working for my dad in his business. Okay. Uh, he was a criminal defense lawyer. Oh, wow. And his thing always was, we love our clients. We got to mm -hmm. love our clients. Now, stop and think about the kind of people who you might imagine might have come through our door as criminal defense lawyers, right? Full gambit. Everything from the wrongfully accused to the, hey, need to be appearing as wrongfully accused and need representation, right? But the reality is, if you love on your clients, they love on you. We never mm -hmm. did advertising. We never had to promote it. Our clients were our Brother. advertising. Yeah. yeah. And you know, people ask me, oh, what do you do to get more speeches? I'm like, I try to give really amazing speeches. Yeah. They're like, well, what else? Like, what's your social media strategy? It's like, they don't have one. What kind of ads do you do? Where do you run ads? I don't. What do you do for kind of biz dev? I try to give good speeches. Now I get that that is contrary to how most businesses run. And there comes a point where there's only so many hours in the day that I yeah. can give a speech in. So that you, there comes an element of scaling, but knowing that a lot of the listeners are solo entrepreneurs and I'm a solo entrepreneur, what are you doing to grow your business the way you want to grow it as opposed to the way whoever you're following on Instagram says you need to grow it or whatever business book you read last week implies you need to grow it. And by the way, when did lifestyle business become a pejorative term? I missed, I missed when we made that shift. Because yep. to be frank, part of the reason I got into business was to have the lifestyle I wanted. Yeah, That was one of my reasons for being in business was to go on vacation when I wanted to go on vacation, to work yeah. the hours I wanted to work, 
to serve the kind of clients I wanted to serve. Like I Mm -hmm. wanted that freedom. I wanted that lifestyle. That's available as soon as you decide to focus on loving your clients and taking great care of them. Everything else sorts itself out. Yeah. It's very true too, because with, with my, um, with the, the coaching aspect of my business pods, it, it, I get into the nitty gritty, dirty, ugly things in their life. And it, and you have to really love and respect and honor your relationship with that, that customer, because they're telling you some dirt. I mean, I might as well be a therapist at this point. Totally. Um, Totally. But it's, it's, it's so high value to them when they're, when they're just able to put that on the line and they know that that allows them, that opens them up to be able to do the right thing. Cause we were talking before, if we're jumping back 30 minutes, permission, yeah. You know, once, once they get that off their chest, they're allowing, they're opening themselves up for permission to do 100%. what they know is right. 100%. Cause most of the time I'm just, I'm just a Sherpa. I'm just a guide. I, sure. I, I don't know what's best all the time you do. It's yeah. your business. I can just right. show you what you're saying back to you. Yeah. And then we can come up with a solution together if need be. But yeah. yeah in, my, in my experience, the best coaches in the world are experts at holding mirrors. Mm-hmm. That's all I do. And all they do is like, <laughs> hey, let me, let me position the mirror this way. Let me get you yeah. on this angle. Let me show you this view. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. The, yeah, you've got the answers. I just want to reflect back to you what the rest of the world can see that maybe you can't. Yeah. And allows you to, to cause it's not always big things either. It's usually it's, not. I would posit you, that very rarely is it big things. Usually yeah, I'm it's all very little things that have snowballed into a nightmare because little things become big things when they go unattended to for so long. Right. And then you're feeling the big thing because that's what it's become, but it's only a, it's only a, a you know, a thorn in your foot, like a tiny, tiny one, but yeah. now it's affected your hip because yeah. you're walking funny and compensating and then your shoulder and back hurts. Totally. You know, it's, totally. It's a, yeah. I was it's reading this fascinating book the other day by uh, my buddy, Mike Michalowicz. It's called fix okay. this next. And the whole premise Mm. of the book, to sum it up, is entrepreneurs know they've got problems in their business. They know they need to fix, but they don't know which one to fix first. And his book provides a framework for how do you decide which thing to focus on first. Really great book. All of Mike's books are fantastic. But he tells a story in the book about uh, Ole Miss, right, the university. And what they came to realize is that they were not getting the volume of applicants and enrollees that they wanted. And part of the reason they weren't getting that is their campus was considered to be not as beautiful as some of the other campuses in the SEC. And when they went and they met with the groundskeeper team, what they found is that to mow the lawn was taking a crazy amount of time, like days and days and days to mow the lawn once. And what they realized is that was creating the first impression. People would roll up, they'd see a not manicured landscape, and they're like, oh, this isn't as nice as that other school down the road. So they met with the team and they said, they empowered them. How could we fix this? How could we make it better? The team pointed out two things that I found fascinating. They pointed out a couple of things, but two really stood out to me. They said, number one, the branches on the trees are so low that when we're mowing, we have to get off our mowers and move and lift the branches so we can get underneath. Mm. said number two all the flower beds around campus are squares and rectangles so we've got to get off the mowers and get the push mower to get the corner because we can't get the corner on the ride mower so they decided here's what we're going to do first things first we're going to cut all the limbs off the bottom of the trees so there it was either eight or ten feet off the ground so you can drive a mower underneath it right up close to the trunk and not have to worry about it. Number two, we're going to take all the flower pots and we're going to turn them or the flower gardens and we're going to turn them into ovals or circles, rounded sides, so that you can drive the mowers around instead of having to get off and do this. Mm-hmm. Those two singular changes resulted in them to being able to mow the lawn exponentially faster. Yeah. created a much more beautiful campus, led to an increase in applicants and enrollees. And it was a little thing, but it was a little thing that the people running the organization wouldn't have known had they not gotten very curious. See, I think the best thing we can do as business leaders is to get curious Amen. before we move to solutions. <clears throat> and I will say, this is a sweeping uh, generalization and stereotype, but I think your uh, former guest, Jen Heck, might agree with me on this. You know, <laughs> 
sweeping stereotype approaching, this doesn't apply to everyone, but it applies a lot, which is how it got to become a stereotype. Men, and particularly entrepreneurial men, have a tendency to move towards fix it before they fully understand the problem. Mm -hmm. If we can just pump the brakes a little, we can just get curious just a little. And by the way, this applies not only to uh, the business aspect of your entrepreneurial hierarchy of needs, but also to, oh yeah, those relationships, yep. uh, it applies over there too. And it also applies interestingly enough to health, wealth and recreation too. But yep. if we get curious first and say, well, why is it this way? What's going on this way? What, you know, what, what else could we do? Asking the people that are on the front line dealing with these things, nine times out of 10, the answers are a lot easier and a lot cheaper than we think they are if we get curious. Yeah. yeah so yeah, you're definitely speaking my language. One of the things that I teach is approach all problems with a sense of childlike curiosity. And what that does is allows you to rediscover the truth because totally. listen, I, I mean, in, when we were in construction, stuff like that, that those industries don't, don't uh, grow very fast. So there's not too much that you're, you're, you know, you're catching up on, but each situation is completely different. You know, there's a different combination. We went from town to town, from County to County, different rules. So you can't, you know, it's, it's, it you can't just presume that what you've learned in the past carries forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and one of my favorite questions that ask people then, which is kind of a riff on that childlike curiosity is when was the last time you did something for the first time? Oh, that's good. And what it does is it makes people go, oh gosh, you know, I kind of been doing the same thing. It's like, well, then how are you going to have childlike curiosity if you haven't acted like a child in a decade or more? It's really tough. You know how you act like yeah. a child? Get thrown into an environment where you don't know what to do. Get thrown into a situation where you're a beginner, where you're the novice. Yes. Most people, the more successful they get, the more they stay in circles of things that feel very comfortable, feel very familiar, very routine, because they're dealing with so much chaos in their business or in their yeah. you know, other aspects that they're like, well, here's where I want to have the stability of just being rote, doing the same thing over and over again. That's fine. Just know that it has a consequence. So it's kind of funny. So I don't teach this anymore because- it didn't really go well teaching it, but, but I used to, I used to do something called solo ballistic where it was, it was do something by yourself, basically dig yourself a hole and climb out of it where like, but it like to the, to the sense where like, so I, I wrote a book and I had no idea what I was doing. The book's still here. Now I have to publish it. There's a couple of books we're publishing right now. And uh, one was jujitsu. Don't okay. just learn jujitsu compete. And like, I had like a timeline, like I have to figure this out. So I'm either going to get beat up or, or win like one of the two. And I, you know, I landed in the middle of both, <laughs> right, right. Um, but it really, it, it, it got me comfortable with not knowing, with being a novice, with, with knowing the difference between being scared and alert, you know, yeah, those there's, huge, there's huge. Yeah. Difference. Yeah. Huge and, difference. and, you know, going back to like the whole language thing, I'm, 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 I always evaluate myself based on how I feel and how I think I feel. Mm. So there's, there's like, um, like reading books. Sometimes there was a point, like I was telling you about the, the Genesis of Eon and how I like the breakdown and stuff like that. Um, what I was, what I was, I was reading all kinds of books to try and figure it out. But what I was realizing is I wasn't educating myself. I was entertaining myself to kind of subsidize the, any, any, um, what's what I'm looking for any oh damn i can't think of the responsibility yeah. like it was like oh i'm just gonna yeah. keep on learning it'll fix itself and that's not the truth yeah so yeah entrepreneurs yeah. as a general rule are really good at uh hiding they're really good ah. at convincing themselves that they're actually doing things that they're not yeah, yeah. that's that's part of the skill set of the entrepreneur which helps in one aspect of your business growth and being an entrepreneur but really that the same I'm a big believer that everything that has a light side by its very definition has to have a shadow side. You can't have light without shadow. And so that ability to tune out the world and say, I've got the idea, I'm just going to go do it. And I'm going to push through and I'm going to white knuckle it and I'm going to persevere. Mm. That's great. So that's a light version of it. Yeah. Well, what's the shadow version of it? Well, I'm not going to listen to other people. I'm going to do this the hard way instead of the easy way. I'm not going to take into consideration the ripple effect of the consequences that are happening. Mm -hmm. And lots of times, the only reason we move into the shadow is when that tidal wave hits us, when that yeah. comes along and it says, oh, guess what? It's not all just the positives. 
Every, every yeah. action has an equal and opposite reaction. And we yes. got to pay attention to that. It, and because it, it, it will consume you. It, there is an emotional undertow that we, we, we experience all the time. But for some damn reason, we are so easy to forget that the tide's still coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I totally, totally agree with that. Um, Joey, before we got on the uh, uh, press record, you were talking about your own uh, hierarchy of needs that you're working with and, and a new, a new, um, I would say speech that you're working on. Is that yeah, correct? So, so over the course of, you know, we're recording this uh, in the summer of 2021 and over the course of the last 18 months, like everybody else on the planet, you know, I've been helping my clients navigate COVID and how that has impacted customer experience and employee experience and business operations. And in the same way that you have your entrepreneurial hierarchy of needs, you know, the original person talking about hierarchy of needs was a guy by the name of Abraham Maslow. And Maslow basically identified five hierarchy of needs and shaped them in a pyramid. So if we think of the bottom of the pyramid, those are your physiological needs, right? Air, water, food, shelter, sleep, <laughs> clothing, reproduction, the basic things that make humans not animals. Okay, then we move up to safety needs personal security, employment, resources, health, property, those things. Then we move up to the middle of the pyramid. So we're three levels up. We're in the middle of the pyramid now, love and belonging. That's our friendships, our intimacy, our family, our sense of connection, our feeling of community. Then we move up to the next level, which is esteem, our respect, our status, our recognition, our strength, our freedom. And then, and only then, once we've solved all of those four things lower on the pyramid, do we reach the top of the pyramid, which is self-actualization, that desire to be the best version of ourselves, to be the most that we could be. If we turn back the clock to, I'm going to say, January or February of 2020, most people listening to this podcast were in self-actualization. You didn't spend a lot of time thinking about the air you were breathing. He didn't spend a lot of time thinking about whether it was safe to go to a grocery store or not. He didn't spend a lot of time thinking about when is the next time I'm going to be able to have dinner in a restaurant. You didn't think, uh, spend a lot of time thinking about how do I get my feelings of connection? Do those happen in person? Do they happen over the phone? Do they happen via video? Those things were just happening. They were on autopilot because you were in self-actualization. I was in self-actualization. This was the joy of living in the society we're living in and being the type yeah. of person who's probably listening to this podcast. That's where we were. Well, COVID comes along and it throws everyone on the planet to the bottom of the pyramid instantly. Is it safe to go to the grocery store? If my groceries are delivered, if I'm in a privileged enough place that I can have my groceries delivered, do I need to disinfect them when they come in? Do I have to wear a mask? Is it safe to breathe the air? Our castles, our homes became our cages. The yeah. entire landscape of how we had created identity, how we had created framework, how we had created ways of operating in society was completely upended in a way that hadn't been upended in over a hundred years. Yeah. But what do we do now? Well, now, summer 2021, people are talking about getting rid of the mask, getting vaccinated, getting back to the beach, getting back to business, coming back to the office, all of this stuff. And that's great. And I, I want that too. And many people aren't ready. Even if they say they want it, psychologically, they're still lower on the pyramid. They're still wondering, well, is it safe to come back? Because I can come back to the office because maybe I got my vaccine and I feel comfortable about that. But what about my kids at home? Or maybe there's somebody who's like, well, I didn't get my vaccine for any number of reasons. Is it safe for me to go out? Well, I like wearing a mask. Well, I don't like wearing a mask. Well, I like being on the road. Well, I don't like being on the road. Well, I like going to the office. You know, I never liked going to the office. I don't want to do this. There's so many things at play that I think many employers, not all, are completely oblivious to, or they're pretending they're not there. Like every business owner listening needs to be thinking about a hybrid work policy. I'm sorry, you just do. Not because I think yeah. it's better, but because the planet wants it. <laughs> okay. If yeah. the marketplace wants something, you can go kicking and screaming and saying, I'm not going to do that for you. And you can do that and survive for a while. But if you want to sustain yourself, you have to look at what the marketplace wants. And the reality is the marketplace wants to know that they're safe coming to your store. 
The marketplace wants to know, your employees want to know that they're safe coming to work. They want to know that you care about them, that you're actually paying attention, that it's not just getting back to business as usual. Because here's the kicker, Tim. If we're really honest, things weren't that great. Oh, they're a mess. <laughs> Correct. Here's the thing. Nobody like, wants to acknowledge that. Everybody's like, oh, I just can't wait till it gets back to normal. Define normal for me. Thanks for using that phrase. What do you mean by normal? What did your normal look like? And I'd be willing to bet that your normal looked nothing like my normal, looked nothing yep. like this person down the street's normal, looked nothing like this other person around the corner's normal. And so I think the opportunity, and gosh, I hope we take advantage of this. The opportunity as a species is to look at all the ways that we're doing things and say, are we doing this because it's the best way to do it? Or are we doing it because it became rote, because it came convenient? because that's always the way we've done it. Or are we really looking and saying, you know what, are we, we're so quick to optimize our social media ad spend. Why aren't we quick to optimize our workplace environment? Why aren't we quick to optimize letting our employees not have to commute? All these other things, there's an opportunity here. I just hope you take it. There's a massive, massive opportunity. And and there's so many, so many uh, tendrils of opportunity. There is, I mean, I have a friend who be- before, before this all went down, he's paying about $23,000 in rent for his office. And he realized, oh, I don't need this. We, yeah. can do, we can A, B, we can have some of the guys in the office someday, some of the other, everybody on Friday and completely change it, completely change it. And, he, and he's saving a ton of money. Save yeah. a ton of money. And, Absolutely, and because he was willing to get creative, willing to try something different, yeah. try a different approach, try a different consideration. Yeah. Exactly. And it goes way beyond money. Money was the first, like the, the finance was the first obvious thing that came to my head, but it's just, it's uh, comfort. Sure. Right? 100%. I'm able to spend time at home with my kid. I don't have a kid, but I'm speaking as them. Yeah, like I'm able to spend time with my loved dog. one. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm able yeah. to spend less time commuting. I'm able to spend less time running here, there, and everywhere. I'm able yeah. to prioritize. I'm able to think differently. Absolutely. Yeah. That's time I can prepare us a healthier meal. End totally. up at the gym instead of driving. Listen exactly. to a book. Listen exactly. to this podcast. You know, <laughs> whatever it may be. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, Joy, I think we've been on, uh, on the podcast for about four hours now. <laughs> time flies um, when you're having fun. Joe, so in case you guys can't tell, I'm a little bit under the weather and this has been the best medicine that I've had over the last three days. I forgot that I was sick. Oh, I forgot well, that thanks, until yeah, I hit mute. I appreciate, that. <laughs> I appreciate that. I've enjoyed the conversation as well and hope the yeah. listeners have too. Yeah, I'm sure they did. Any, any last minute um, uh, pearls of wisdom, anything, songs, maybe anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so, uh, I, I don't know if this qualifies as a as a pearl of wisdom, but I'd I'd like to offer something for folks to consider, which I think is desperately in need, especially in the entrepreneurial community, and I don't think it's talked en- about enough. And that is, consider being a lot more gentle with yourself mm. than you currently are. I don't know who you are. I don't know who needs to hear that or who didn't need to hear that right now. But my gut instinct is because I see this in the entrepreneurial community at such a great degree. We're so hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. and it's just not necessary. You can still be successful. You can still make money. You can still grow your business. You can still be a titan of industry, well-known and well-respected and love yourself and be Mm -hmm. gentle with yourself and be patient with yourself. And so if there was a final thought or hope that I would have for everybody listening is that you, uh, as we've talked a lot about in this conversation about the human experience and creating remarkable experiences for our customers and our employees, consider creating a remarkable experience for yourself by being kinder to yourself, by being gentler to yourself, by being more patient with yourself. That dividend actually pays back exponentially greater than the customer one or the employee one. And I'm a big fan of the customer and employee experience, but on the personal level, it takes it even further. 
we shall we shall meet again brother thank you so much for being thanks tim thanks everybody for listening really appreciate you having me on the show Thank you again for joining us. And if you like what we're doing with the entrepreneurial hierarchy of needs and want to show your support, the best way to show some love is to subscribe and leave us an honest review. We also have a Facebook group where we continue these types of conversations and so much more for all of our continued growth. I can't wait to see you in there.